This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 148. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Happy New Year. It's a new year. It's a new variant. It's a new winter. And a new anniversary. It's the first anniversary of an attempted coup in America. The first anniversary of a violent attack on our nation's capital. It's the first anniversary of the biggest national dodging of a bullet in our lifetime. It's the first anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. And it's definitely a time to stay vigilant. It's clear under the UCMJ, we don't, have, we don't need a congressional commission to investigate the crimes of Mark Milley. All the evidence is out there. All we need to do is, he's an active duty soldier. Just mm-hmm. convene a general court-martial and forget a congressional hearing. Convene a general court-martial, try him for the crimes that, you know, have an Article 32 hearing, get him indicted. Right. And then whatever the sentence is, if he's guilty, we need to get back to our patriotic, liberty-loving roots. What did they used to do to traitors if they were convicted by a, a court? They would execute them. That's still the law in the United States of America. So I think, you know, if he's guilty of it by a court-martial and so forth, they should hang him on CNN. And I mean, you know, on CNN, they're not going to do it on CNN, but on, you know, C-SPAN or something. Yeah. That's Republican U.S. House of Representatives candidate Noah Malgiri calling for General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to be executed live on C-SPAN. He's running in Nevada's third, a swing district currently held by Democrat Susie Lee. He believes COVID was intentional to destroy America. He's a father of two, an Iraq war vet, a former JAG officer, and an extremist. And he should not be dismissed. One year after the attack on the Capitol. This dude is saying this shit in a public forum. Earlier tonight, I posted it on Twitter and I tagged the FBI. Maybe they can pay him a visit if they haven't already. Because he should not be dismissed. One year ago, a few thousand people who think like he does got inside our Capitol and almost overthrew our government. They are saying out loud what they want to do. One year later, we should believe them. One year ago, from the time I'm recording this, on January 5th, 2021, the Oath Keepers were planning. Giuliani was getting ready for a speech. Traitorous insurrectionists were organizing their helmets, their bear spray, their zip ties. Violent radicals were checking their ammo. Traitorous members of Congress were coordinating a coup. 
and a man was planting two pipe bombs in D.C., one outside the DNC headquarters and one outside the RNC headquarters. And one year later, that bomber is still at large. The FBI is seeking information regarding people who committed violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. You can go to FBI.gov and see the photos and videos from the current cases. And if you recognize someone, you can submit a tip. They're still out there. One year later, many of them are still out there. They should be in jail or in Gitmo. Maybe they're still out there. Who knows where and when they might pop up again? Maybe today, the day this episode drops, January 6th. Maybe in Washington, D.C. Because President Biden will speak on January 6th at the Capitol. And there'll be a hearing down the street at a D.C. federal court at the same time. An accused Oath Keeper conspirator is seeking release from jail until trial and appears for a bond hearing. Both these events will occur at approximately 9 a.m. Eastern in D.C. So maybe one of these people who are at large will pop up there. Or maybe they'll pop up at your state house, Or maybe they'll pop up at your local school board meeting. One year later, the insurrection's not over. It just morphed. The insurrection of January 6th has evolved into the American insurgency of 2022. One year later, they're not all in jail. Hundreds are, but hundreds more are not. And thousands more, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands more have been radicalized. One year later, the American insurgency is stronger, more validated, and more motivated than ever before. One year ago was not a loss for the American insurgency. It was a loss for America, one of the biggest in our history. But it wasn't a loss for the American insurgency. It was a birthday. And today, January 6th, many all across this country are celebrating. They're celebrating their freedom. They're celebrating our government's complacency. They're celebrating Trump's validation and, again, rising political power. And they're celebrating the potential of a dark, violent, extremist future that envisions an America that's closer to the one envisioned by the Taliban than by our founding fathers. One year later, it's time to recognize that our enemies are celebrating, foreign and domestic. One year later, it's time to recognize that they're far from done. And it's a time to recognize that they're not just focused on D.C. One year later, the most likely target is not the now hardened defenses of the Capitol. One year later, the most likely target is your state capital, or your county clerk's office, or your local COVID testing site, or your town hall. One year later, the most likely target is not Nancy Pelosi's office in Washington. It's your local police station or your local tattoo shop. One year later, it's not Washington, D.C. It's Lakewood, Colorado. On December 27th, just over one week ago, a 47-year-old male suspect opened fire in Denver, shooting and killing three people. 
The suspect then traveled to Lakewood, a city just outside of Denver. There, he killed 38-year-old Danny Schofield at the Lucky 13 tattoo shop. Then, he went to the Belmar shopping area, where he blasted down 28-year-old Sarah Steck as she worked at the Hyatt House. The gunman was Lyndon McLeod, 47, a man with a long history of extremist views and psychiatric episodes. He owned a tattoo parlor until 2017 in Denver, and three of his five victims worked in that industry at two different sites. He lived in a shipping container in the mountains and wrote fantasy novels under a pseudonym and surrounded himself with guns. He was an author dedicated to alt-right philosophies, including masculine supremacy, contrarian COVID-19 beliefs, and targeted violence against the quote-unquote weak, including those he killed. This is what he wrote in April 2020. This is basically the plot to my stupid book. Our entire society is made up of shitty little fucks who insult badasses and get away with it because law enforcement and social norms protect the weak from the strong. I'm over it. The weak better buckle up. Shit is about to get real. That's what he wrote in April 2020. He also appeared in at least two videos on YouTube, one that was posted the day after his rampage. He wasn't hiding. He had been on the radar of law enforcement and had been investigated in 2020 and 2021, but no charges were ever filed. As McLeod was attempting to flee, after shooting all these people, he was confronted by Lakewood police agent Ashley Ferris. Ferris ordered him to drop his weapon as he approached her. And according to Lakewood PD, McLeod ignored her commands and shot Agent Ferris striking her in the abdomen. Agent Ferris, shot, wounded, and bleeding on the ground, was able to return fire and kill McLeod, who died on the scene. When I tell you to look for the helpers, it's heroes like Lakewood Police Agent Ashley Ferris. If not for the heroism of Agent Ferris and other law enforcement, this violent attack could have been so much worse. Just like January 6th. Agent Ferris is what a hero looks like. The president needs to give her a medal ASAP. But look for the helpers. They look like Agent Ashley Ferris. How many people in America didn't even hear this happened? You probably didn't. One year later, this is the kind of rising radical threat that we should all be concerned about, especially around January 6th. One year later, not long after the 20th anniversary of 9-11, it's a time to never forget. And it's a time, more than ever, to stay vigilant. Because vigilance is the price of freedom. And one year later, it's time to pay up, people. This show is all about the future and about staying vigilant, especially in 2022, as the threats to our democracy continue to gather and grow like snowstorms over Washington, D.C. And like Washington, D.C. this week, as snow piled up and paralyzed I-95 and the entire region, even though they were warned, we're not ready. One year later, 
we are not ready. But on this show, at least, we'll continue to warn, we'll continue to educate, we'll continue to advocate, and we'll continue to unify. One year later, we will continue to hold the line and bring light to contrast to heat. And we'll continue to fight the extremism and the hate with the righteous media five eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. One year later, it's still about real talk and real issues. No sugarcoating, no partisan spin, no corporate masters, no bullshit. One year later, in these trying times especially, independent Americans will continue to be your trusted place for independent news, politics, inspiration, and vigilance. And I'll continue to bring you newsmaking leaders, important, inspiring, and iconic Americans that are changing what America has been, what America is now, and what America will be in the future. And to kick off 2022, this is another episode to help us all stay vigilant, especially one year later. And one year later, it's America against itself. One year later, it's American against American. One year later, it's I against I. And joining us to break it down is one of the most powerful leaders in the media. And a guy who used to be a professional bass player in a number of bands in New York City with names like the Stubborn All-Stars and Subatomic Sound System. He's a guy who contributed to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Yes, really. He's reported from around the world, from exotic and dangerous destinations like Afghanistan, Israel, Iraq, Qatar, Kuwait, Russia, the Pentagon, the Los Alamos National Laboratory, and the East Village, and a guy who's taken on the most powerful people in Washington with one of America's great media brands behind him and a Bad Brains t-shirt on him. He's the dynamic new editor-in-chief of Rolling Stone magazine, Noah Shackman. You'll hear his origin story. But in 2003, he founded DefenseTech.org. In 2006, he became a contributor at Wired magazine. There, he co-founded the Danger Room blog, which was a trailblazer. He won an online journalism award for beat reporting and the National Magazine Award for reporting in digital media. And after a stop at foreign policy, he joined the Daily Beast as its new executive editor in 2014. He turned that site into what was later called a journalistic scoop factory. He broke tons of stories. And in May of 2018, he was promoted to editor-in-chief at the Daily Beast. And earlier this year, the former bass player was named editor-in-chief of an American institution, Rolling Stone the former home of the great Hunter Thompson, the cultural touchstone, the go-to for a generation for music, culture, and politics, a magazine that helped me get into politics, 
and fed my love for music. Rolling Stone was founded in San Francisco in 1967 by Jan Werner, but it was built by Hunter Thompson. He established the brand as a true leader in politics and in music and culture, but at the core was always music. The first issue had John Lennon on the cover, and the magazine's slogan has always been, all the news that fits. And how the news fit changed over the decades. In the 80s, it went deeper into music with MTV icon Kurt Loder at the helm. In the 90s, it got a little weak. And in the 2000s, Matt Taibbi and Michael Hastings made news. In 2010, they sparked controversy by publishing a July issue and an article by Michael Hastings entitled The Runaway General. That was the one with criticism by General Stan McChrystal, commander of the International Security Assistance Force and U.S. Forces Afghanistan commander. He allegedly got McChrystal while he was stuck in a flight delay, talking all kinds of shit about people. Shit that got him in deep trouble. Shit that included then-Vice President Joe Biden. When asked about Biden, he allegedly said, Biden or bite me? He joked sarcastically about the VP, who was known as a skeptic of the commander's war strategy. When asked about Biden, McChrystal reportedly said, who's that? An advisor says, Biden? Did you say bite me? After the peace hit, McChrystal immediately flew back to Washington to meet with Obama and soon after resigned. Rolling Stone made hits and covered hits, but over the years, it lost its way a bit. It got too old. It got too slow. It got too liberal. But Noah's trying to bring it back to its former greatness and take it even higher. And he's off to a strong start, breaking stories again, like he always does. Stories about the insurrection, about scandals in Army Special Forces units, and pulling back the curtain on iconic music artists like Marilyn Manson and Eric Clapton. We'll talk more about that. Noah's trying to bring back a great American classic. And hopefully, he won't fuck it up like Ford did with the Mustang. Because one year later, yeah, we'd like to bring back the Ford Mustang. But we need to bring back Rolling Stone. We need every media gun in the fight. Because we're battling the forces of ignorance and stupidity. And we are greatly outnumbered. Welcome to January 6th. Welcome to 2022. Welcome to the most perilous year of our lifetime. After the most perilous year of our lifetime. After the most perilous year of our lifetime. Yeah, one year later, it's not letting up. And we can't let up either. Welcome to January 6th, one year later. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 148. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, Happy New Year. It is picking up as crazy as it left off last year, and we have a very special guest that I think is a perfect person for this moment. The intersection of all the crazy shit happening in our world sits on his laptop basically every single day. He's an old friend. He's a pioneer and I think a really important uh, and, and, and powerful voice to talk to, especially in this moment. The great and powerful Noah Schachtman joins us here <laughs> on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend. That's that's one hell of an intro, man. Well, you deserve it, man. Uh, first of all, happy New Year, happy Thanks. January sixth anniversary. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, happy Omicron January. Yeah. Uh, None of these things sound too happy, man. <laughs> I'm trying to, yo. I'm trying to be positive, man. And, and here's one for you, since you're now a Rolling Stone guy. Happy yeah. David Bowie's birthday. It's the eighth. I don't know if you know that. I do David know that. Bowie Day. I, I do know that. Um, David Bowie was somebody who I've been a fan for of so long. When I was growing up, I had a picture of him, you know, on my wall. He was definitely one of my wall poster guys, along with the Clash and the Damned. Those were my big ones, and uh, yeah, no, I love David Bowie. I love David Bowie so much that me and my friends growing up had convinced ourselves that his son Duncan uh, actually was in our fifth grade class together with no evidence whatsoever, like zero, because he was blonde and British. We were like, he obviously. He's David Bowie's kid. Um, so that's what a David Bowie obsessive I am. Uh, Duncan's a great guy, by the way. And um, he made one great movie uh, called Moon, which is really good. Um, See, this is why I was glad, I had, you know, the storytelling components of your life started early. Yeah, and, and, and now, yeah. you know, for folks who are watching on video, you look like you have a cool dad cave. I mean, you're wearing a Bad Brains, <laughs> you're wearing a Bad Brains T-shirt. You got mm -hmm. uh, some kind of movie poster. And something else, but what's over your left shoulder? What are those things? Set the oh, stage for us here. This is uh, a, um, it's like a barbershop uh, 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 poster from from Africa um, that I like a lot. Um, and then there's like a cheesy 50s movies poster over there. And then there's a, um, a piece of artwork that my mom and dad got together in the brief time they were married uh, in Spain. Um, so that's what I've got facing over the wall there. And then I've got my old futon from the East Village that I still have in this in my old office. So that's about what I got. I, I think we lived in the East Village at the same time. We may want to want to touch on that. But oh in honor of your appearance, I wore my Neil Young Carnegie Hall T-shirt from 2014. Okay. I was looking around, what could I get that it made it probably not clean? But what what was black and looked kind of Rolling Stone? Why you have a Bad Brains T-shirt on? I got to ask you, why Bad Brains? I mean, they're one of the greatest bands of all time. Uh, I'm a, as you know, I'm a huge, uh, reggae nerd. And so, you know, I love the reggae element of it, even though the bad brains weren't the greatest reggae band in the world, they definitely, you know, had that component. And, you know, I grew up, uh, I mean, once I got a little bit older, I feel like it was now trip down memory lane, but, you know, I grew up in a, in a time when hardcore like reigned supreme on, on these New York streets and, uh, and uh, and bands like Bad Brains and Circle Jerks and Murphy's Law and Agnostic Front. And, uh, you know, those were like some of my favorite bands and how I spent much of my misspent youth was, you know, going to CBGBs and, you know, knocking around with a bunch of other dudes uh, listening to that music. 
at a, at a time when CVs was probably full of Rolling Stone related people and your life is, is kind of come maybe full circle. I want to, I want to get into that. This, this yeah. really interesting, you know, role you've got at Rolling Stone, an interesting time. I want to talk about January 6th. I want to talk about, you know, your background because yeah. how we know each other is, is really interesting because you sit at this place. It's an intersection now of pop culture, politics, music, art, uh, and national security and defense. And I, I feel yeah. your your fingerprints on what Rolling Stone is now and what you're covering and what you're focused on in a way I frankly have never seen it Rolling Stone before. And I know that comes from you. But I think when when we met, um, you might have still, you know, I remember when you still had the before you it was after you sold the blog to 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 military.com. Yeah. Right. And it was when you're doing wired and danger room. Like yeah. when I first got home from Iraq, right? Is that when we first got in yeah, touch? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Honestly, it's so fucking long ago. It's hard to yeah. uh, it's hard to know. But um, yeah, you know, look, um, while you, you know, I, I after 9-11, you know, like a lot of people, it changed my life. Uh, for me, I was sort of like a, um, a full-time musician and a part-time writer. And, uh, and then 9-11 happened and, I really wasn't a very good journalist at that time. And and I was so shitty at it that I didn't even know to like, just go down there and start interviewing people. And so the only thing I really knew how to do was I, w- I was dabbling in some tech journalism. And so I wrote a story, I think on like September 13th on like, you know, these disposable planes that were going to go after Osama bin Laden. And uh, those were drones and everybody was like, Whoa, this is so crazy. Who's ever heard of this stuff. And so you know, I just started writing about that. And by the time you and I ran into each other, I'd sort of built up a little bit of a beat on defense and technology. And, um, and I was probably 32 or 33 at the time. And the van was getting a little bit old for me as a, as a musician. And so I decided to get off the road and, 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 um, and really focus on that. And I did a lot of work for Wired Magazine, as you noted, and, um, you know, went over to Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, more times than uh, was intelligent of me to do. And, um, you know, I mean, I've had, I've just had a huge interest in national security and national security reporting now for, it's hard, it's hard to believe I'm saying this, but for two decades. And, and, um, and so it's definitely something I'm, I'm bringing to Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone, I think to be fair though, has had a long history of great national security reporting. Uh, you know, the sort of epochal, uh, you know, story on Stan McChrystal, uh, that cost him his job, came out in Rolling Stone. Uh, you know, some of the best reporting out of Afghanistan, Matt Aitkins and other guys uh, came out in Rolling Stone. And, and we're lucky now to have to have uh, some some good guys writing for us. And, and I think we'll have some more stories coming out um, in the future. I, w- I want to dig into that because I, I do. I think, you know, you were ahead of the game and that you, you, you and your team were talking about this intersection of defense and technology before it was cool. Before it was mainstream, it was kind of it yeah. felt like it was fringe at that time, and it was yeah. like military nerds and vets, right, yeah. and maybe contractors were all kind of poking around this. And you guys would explain things like drones and and all yeah. the technology intersections that are now a part of our everyday life. But you were breaking stories, right? And and yeah. you were hustling your ass off. You go from being a, a bass player in a band to writing about drones and going, you know, to the Middle East, yeah. and then you go over to the Daily Beast, 
where, um, you know, I remember hanging out at a Daily Beast party at some cool spot in New York City. But it kind of was like, you know, a guy that I knew who I also respected, who had been in the field, kind of crossed over into this new world of, of journalism, big journalism. Right. Yeah. And now you're the editor and and you kept breaking stories. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you really kept breaking stories. And now you're bringing that to, to, to Rolling Stone. Talk about the job at Rolling Stone. I know you've talked about this in other places, but you called it, you know, your dream job. Um why why do you think this job is important not just for you and and why is rolling stone important maybe again it's almost to me it feels like a rebirth of rolling stone but with all respect to the past you know stuff you mentioned i'm reading rolling stone more than i ever have before yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a guy who used to get the magazine i don't anymore you're reminding me that i should um but i used to devour rolling stone and i felt like it kind of left my orbit for a little while yeah. and you're bringing it back so can you talk about this moment for rolling stone and your vision for where you want to take it yeah. So look, uh, I think when Rolling Stone is good, it's just good for culture. It's just good for the media. And it's just good for for music. It's good for hip hop. It's good for rock and roll. It's just like when Rolling Stone's in a healthy place, it's just good for the ecosystem. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to make it good again. I, I'm first, or take it from good to great, I would say is, is more accurate. And, um, you know, the real goal is to kind of restore Rolling Stone to its rightful place as the Bible of youth culture. And so that's going to mean, you know, there's, you're going to hear a lot of, of, about a lot of musicians, Paul, that are way after your time, man. And, you know, uh, and, and you're going to be like, who the fuck is that person? And then you're going to look on, and you're going to be like, wait a minute, they have 40 million followers on Instagram or whatever. And they have the number one tune. So like, you know, for example, we've got someone coming up in the February cover that like, uh, I would say if you're in in the English language pop music world, you're going to be like, who is this guy? In the Spanish language pop music world, it's going to be like a jaw dropper. So, you know, we're, we're going to be taking chances like that. So I think on the music front, I think, you know, we're going to be diving much harder into pop and K-pop and hip hop uh, than we have. We did a lot, but we're going to do more. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more on the Internet culture that that that, you know, we all kind of swim in. And then, you know, we're going to go hard on, you know, I'd say small P politics, um, you know, and, and the politicians we love to hate. And 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 then, you know, stories but kind of from the edge that you can't get anywhere else. And I think if we sort of get those elements right, um, you know, we should have one hell of a magazine, one hell of a website. And then we do other stuff, too, like crazily, like um, I didn't realize this until I sort of got started, but we have a almost daily TV show on the on Twitch, the gaming platform, uh, you know, we've got a big documentary uh, uh, division that's that's uh, putting out good stuff and um, got some events coming up that are going to be really cool, too. So it's more than just kind of like the news. It's like I, I hate to use this term because it sounds so lame, but it's like, you know, it's a full blown brand that sort of goes ac across a lot of different spaces. Um, and the idea really, ultimately, it's kind of like what I try to do everywhere I go is to get you shit that you cannot see you can't read anywhere else and you know when rolling stone is really cooking it's got a mix of insider access that you don't really get in any other place and outside perspective and like don't give a fuck perspective and i think you know a lot of places that get that access surrender that skeptical eye in order to get that access or if you maintain that skepticism you can't get in and so we're trying to do something hard, which is trying to do both. Um, so you see that, you know, I don't know if this is part of your core listener 
um, uh, 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 demographic here, but like our recent cover on Doja Cat, you know, who's like one of the biggest pop stars in the world, but it never really had a truly uh, skeptical look at her and her association with some pretty bad dudes. And so, you know, she tried to to kind of warm out of some of those questions, but we put her on the record and you know, talking about her relationships about guys like Dr. Luke, the producer that kind of like famously kept Kesha kind of um, all wrapped up. You know, we talked about a lot of stuff with her that she just hadn't answered before. And it was really her first mm. kind of real profile. And so we're going to be, you know, trying to bring the real fire and the real journalism to folks that maybe haven't had it before or haven't I mean, had it in a look, while. Rolling Stone is a great American institution. I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle brand when it's at its best, right? Yeah. And and you guys, like any smart next generation media company, are becoming a content machine that's going to take a lot of forms and going to have you know event activations and all the other pieces that are now probably core to creating a, a media company, right? Yeah, that's what we're trying to do at Righteous in a very different way in a small way. But you know, I look to to Rolling Stone for inspiration, and for a long time, it did feel like it was you know the the magazine that was focused on youth culture. That wasn't young, right? It was like talking about, you know, another article about Neil Young, another article yeah. about Zeppelin, right? And it kind of lost that way and became, you know, the the, the kind of boomer magazine uh, that you're bringing back to center. But also when it's at its best, you're talking about Doja Cat, but you're turning young people onto politics. Yeah. And that intersection is is maybe more powerful than anything else you all do. Yeah. Don't, but, don't but, tell anybody. That's yeah, the, but, you know, that's, that's the daily the show. That's other stuff. Right. It, it's bringing new people into the political sphere where they come for Doja Cat, but they find out about Afghanistan. Right. And yeah. and that's where I see a lot of opportunity for you all to make to make impact. You said something like, you know, we, we, we want to bite and know that, like, when you open the door for access, we still might bite your hand. Yeah. I read something. Right. And and so, you know, I think America needs Rolling Stone to be a dog that bites, um, but also, you know, somebody that brings people into politics. So let's talk about the story of the moment. You guys are breaking stories around this before, you know, we recorded, I think yesterday, um, you guys, you know, recorded that Peter Navarro, reported that Peter Navarro yeah. has said 100 uh, members of Congress basically knew about January 6th. I don't want to, I'll let you summarize the story, but this yeah. is the kind of stuff that you guys are bringing and, and tell us what people need to know about that piece and your reporting on January 6th. First off, before I do, I just want to say something about Peter Navarro, who was Trump's former, I don't know, trade uh, advisor and China guy. Peter Navarro was the guy in the national secure, security community. He was kicking around for years. And he was that crazy guy at the conference that would like look at you with insane eyes and try to push on you his self-published book. Like that's who he was. Yeah, he would pop up on Fox and he was completely fucking nuts. Yeah. Completely he, nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> Peter Navarro is a like, look, I'm not saying I don't say this about people with whom I disagree politically. There's plenty of people that I think, you know, can hold different beliefs from me that I don't just like, I'm not trying to disparage, but Peter Navarro is like a legit crazy person. And, um, and so it is wild that he held a position of any influence or power, but he did. And so he basically uh, concocted this scheme. He was one of many people that did to overturn the election. Uh, he and Steve Bannon and some others. And so, um, you know, he is in the process of doing something that like is like straight out of Scooby-Doo, uh, like in the last five minutes of Scooby-Doo. And he's like revealing the whole plan and, you know, saying I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Right. And um, and so uh, 
uh, a reporter of ours, uh, Tim Dickinson, um, you know, just basically started running the tape recorder and letting this dude talk. And, and he talked himself into admitting uh, he was planning a coup. Um, and, and he said that Trump, while he didn't brief Trump on it, that Trump was very much in the mix um, on it. Um, and, and then he also talked about how Trump had like made sure that every member of Congress had like this stupid ass plan and, you know, election fraud, quote unquote, research, you know, at their fingertips. And, you know, Navarro in his telling basically says, you know, they were all set to coup it up, but then the uh, violence kind of messed up their plans. Um, I'm not sure that's um, entirely accurate, but that's his uh, his story and he's sticking to it. And um, does he name this? He doesn't name names, right? He throws out this hundred number, but doesn't specifically. And, and props to Dickinson. I think he's an outstanding reporter. He's been doing yeah. great reporting for a long time. He's somebody that everybody should read, but he, he doesn't drop specifics, does he? I mean, it's kind of the, the typical Navarro and Trump administration sloppiness which I think is one of the most dangerous parts of this entire administration as we look at it in retrospect, especially is just their overall sloppiness and incompetence. You talk about Scooby-Doo. I mean, that that's not an exaggeration. That's how they ran things. It was yeah. incompetence. Yeah. So it's not unusual that he would just spill the beans and, yeah. you know, despair, you know, drop classified information or whatever else yeah. a sloppy person might do. Right. But yeah. he doesn't, he's not specific yet. Right. He's kind yeah. of teasing it. Well, um, he has some specifics. He did say that, um, Paul Gosar, uh, for example, he shouts him out. Now, Gosar is sort of an obvious member here at this point. Um, we had um, we interviewed some people a while ago, a different reporter of ours, uh, interviewed these two uh, kind of Jan 6 rally organizers. They weren't part of the violence, but they were part of the political uh, piece. And uh, they said that um, Gosar uh, dangled a pardon for them in an unrelated uh, criminal investigation if they pushed hard on this stop the steal nonsense. Um, so, you know, Gosar has been sort of a known villain. He, he dropped his name, dropped Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz obviously has been involved in this stuff too. Um, I'm still going back to the Scooby-Doo thing. Does that make me shaggy? Does that make <laughs> Velma? I'm trying to decide which <laughs> Scrappy-Doo. I'm, I'm I, to- I don't, I'm not going to put you, you're, you're maybe the writer of the show, right? Let's just say that, right? Like we got to pull it, pull it, pull it out a couple, okay, a couple, fine. a couple levels. I feel like I smoke enough weed and eat enough snacks to be shaggy. Now, see, now that you're a Rolling Stone, you can talk about this shit all the time. You get to, sure. you know, let, let let your true colors fly, man. You yeah. can talk about music and weed and, and whatever else you want. But yeah. let, let's go, going back to the January 6th piece, what's next? What's next? What's, 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 uh, what do you think is still, uh, you know, to whatever extent you can, what kind of reporting needs to happen or is going to happen? Yeah. And, you know, folks maybe feel a little exhausted by all this January 6th coverage, but this, in my view, is still the biggest story in America and the number one national security issue. So for you, what's next? And what, what do you yeah, want to say? I, could, I couldn't agree more. It, I really think it is the biggest national security issue in America and, and, and since in the world. I know that it sounds hyperbolic, but it's not, right? It's like if, we're gonna, if America sort of ceases to become a democracy or, or you know, it, its democratic foundations are eroded, like the world is fucked. And, um, and I think it, and, you know, I think we're in a, you know, we're in a 1930s, you know, kind of, kind of state here. And so, you know, I, to me, this is like an all hands on deck, you know, uh, you know, this is the key challenge that we've got going on right now. Um, as far as the reporting we're doing, um, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I will say, 
I believe by the time this airs or shortly thereafter, um, we'll have a really interesting story that'll um, push back against a lot of the media narrative about how much veterans were um, uh, represented in in the um, in the rioters in the in the violent attackers. I, I feel like I mean I don't have to tell you this. I'm sure I don't have to tell your listeners this, but I feel like you know the crazed veteran um, narrative uh, is like this easy and stupid trope that gets trotted out every time there's violence. And while there certainly were some veterans there, as you'd expect, I, I again I don't want to tip my hand, but I, I think the media narrative around that has been has been kind of crazy and, and overblown. Um, and then look, we're going to continue to 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 dig in on you know what exactly the connection was between how tight the connection was between members of Congress and the the rallies and the violence itself. Ditto for the members of the Trump administration. And then what's going on moving forward? You know, how are they at the state level and um, in the 2022 elections, which are coming up, even though I'm so fucking sick of elections, but they are, they're coming, you know, like, you know, how is the plan for kind of like Jan 6 2.0 coming together? How's the plan for you know, making, you know, trying to, trying to thwart democracy coming together. And, and that's a big deal. And, and that's a story we're going to be following all year. If, if it's, if we both agree that it's one of, if not, you know, the biggest national security story happening, right. I, you know, I, I, I also see, there's a lot of talk about civil war. We've talked about in the show at length, how it looks in my view, more like an American insurgency, right. And, and there's going to be these pockets and elements that now seem to be localized on school boards and local governments, right. They're going to hit soft targets and they won't always be coordinated. It'll be, I think in many ways it could reflect some of what we know about the war on terror. But if that is the number one issue and you also cover music and politics, are musicians staying away from this? And I hate to say musicians or the music industry, but for a long time, I felt like, especially in the early days when I first met you, people stayed away from Iraq and Afghanistan. There was a small number of Henry Rollinses that, you know, yeah. Toby Keith that went to USO and a lot of them stayed away because they didn't want to be Janine garofalo right? And then there was an influx of people who were saying, hey, get out the vote and get out and vax. But January 6th is that, is that careful issue, right? Like if you're a big artist, there's downside to engaging on January 6th. So are there, what do you think about that? And is, are there artists in particular that you think are engaging on that issue in particular? Yeah, that's a good question that I don't quite know the answer to. I think we've seen it more, uh, frankly, over the vaccine um, issue where there's been a little bit more kind of like hard um, pro and anti stances by various musicians. Uh, and and it's really gotten them um sort of locked into certain fan bases or, or locked out of certain fan bases. Um, so for example, um, you know, in the country music uh, scene, you know, Jason Isbell has been a very prominent, maybe the most prominent sort of pro vaccine uh, person and, and has said he won't play at, at places that don't have a, a vaccine uh, mandate. Uh, meanwhile, you know, his uh, sometime, um, you know, you got a guy like Morgan Wallen who, uh, you know, is very much on the opposite end of that. So Jason Aldean's taking pictures with, with, right, right, with right. Trump, right, on New Year's right. Eve, right? Yeah. yeah. So I I have not seen, there's certainly, in in country music in particular, right, I, I think that there's, a you know, a big wellspring of kind of like 
it's a little bit more political, ironically. You know, there's a little bit more of a hard divide between, you know, sort of real pro-Trump and real kind of anti-Trump folks. I haven't seen that same kind of politicalization in, let's call it, um, in hip hop or in reggaeton, um, to name two. Um, while there's been a couple of rappers who had sort of came out and endorsed Trump, uh, they didn't continue on with political. It was interesting after the election, they did not they had records come out that weren't political. You know, so Kanye had a record come out that had like 80 billion tracks on it uh, that really none of which were capital P political. Some of which, some of them were small P political or cultural, but they weren't, they weren't political like that. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that was sort of like, you know, or like a Lil Wayne or someone like that, that really came out political. I, I will say though, there's, I, you know, listen in, in a lot of pop music and in a lot of, and in and some in hip hop, there's you know there is a strong um, you know kind of leftist uh, bent to a lot of you know to a lot of um, music and a lot of people's political thinking. That's long been the case uh, among musicians, but I feel like it's gotten um, increasingly so in the last couple of years. Is sort of you know from the left dissolution with the American experiment uh, is is on the rise, and and so. You know, you see artists like No Name, who's a big hip hop artist, who's, uh, you know, at least in her telling, uh, like an avowed communist. Um, right. So I, you know, so I think you're seeing politicalization, but I think it's in it, it's in weird atomized ways. I guess that's yeah. a long way. Of yeah, saying. no, I think I think it's a really fascinating spot to look at. I mean, the Grammys are probably coming up soon, right? And the Oscars well, they may, are coming they may, up, right? They may be. There's a chance the Grammys get get postponed uh, a couple of months because of COVID. But yes, right. that becomes a platform for political statements, you know, often. Right. But you yeah. also did a piece on, you know, you're doing these pieces that expose popular people and their underbellies, right? You did a hard hitting piece on Marilyn Manson and yeah. how he was abusing people. And you did one on Clapton, Eric Clapton, who a lot of people didn't know this other side of Clapton yeah. uh, that has included, I think, racist tropes and a really strong anti-vax stance right can you talk about yeah. the clapton piece and what you guys revealed there yeah yeah so uh clapton uh claims not to be an anti-vaxxer uh he claims that he's just against vaccine mandates however he is funding a group uh like a musical group that uh plays songs like you can shove this vaccine up your ass and does uh musical protests around the country clapton also um after our story came out went uh on the podcast of the most prominent anti-vaxxer in the world, Robert Kennedy Jr., and um, you know, said how terrible Rolling Stone was uh, for pointing out his anti-vax views. Right. Um, but yeah, that's not it. He's also like he's had this long history, not of racist tropes, of just like crazy racist stuff, like stuff that's so racist I don't even want to like repeat it on the podcast. But it goes back uh, to like 1968 when he was. Um, uh, saying stuff about basically calling himself a better guitar player than Jimi Hendrix and saying right, that right. Jimi Hendrix was only a uh, getting love because he was black, essentially, uh, which is kind of uh, crazy and ironic for a guy that made his uh, most famous song off of uh, playing a shitty version of uh, a Bob Marley uh, tune. Um, so look, yeah, look, we're going to go after a lot of, this isn't going to come as news to anybody listening to this, but there's a lot of shady characters in the music business. There's shady characters who you've heard of. 
like a Clapton or like a Marilyn Manson or like a Chris Brown is another great example. Um, and there are shady characters that are more like behind the scenes types. And we're going to be going after both of them. Um, because in a sense, if not us, then who? You know what I mean? Like there's yep. the music industry is a huge multi, multi-billion dollar industry that doesn't get the kind of scrutiny that even Hollywood gets, right? Like even Hollywood gets gets harder looks than music business does. And there's just not that many places that are going to go really go after these guys. And so we are. Um, and part of that is also to show that, like, we're not afraid to go after folks that may have been lionized by Rolling Stone in the past. And both Marilyn Manson and, and Eric Clapton were on many covers in the past. And, you know, you're going to see other people that were on Rolling Stone covers back in the day that are going to get the business going forward. Um, so, you know, and that's just part of our job is to really cover the music industry, both the people on stage and the people behind it, you know, really hard. As you do this, um, you know, uh, Rolling Stone, obviously, I remember meeting with Yan Winter when I first got back from Iraq because he wanted to meet me because he had met, you know, Bobby Muller and he had met the Ron Kovics of the world. Yeah. And I was young into the activism game yeah. and, and we had a meeting in his office. And, and I remember, you know, that just, it was like a Forrest Gump moment for me, right? I'm like sitting in his office and talking to this guy who's, you know, obviously very influential and, and powerful, but there, there, there's a history of Rolling Stone being left of center, right? It's assumed. Right. Um, how do you cover Biden? How do you cover Biden? How do you cover Kamala Harris? How do you cover the Democrats now and and the days ahead? And what do you think are the big stories there that that aren't being covered or that only you guys could cover? Yeah, it's a good question. Again, I, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but like we're bringing in a reporter who starts literally next week, whose job is just to put fire on 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 the the Democrats on the left. And, and, you know, that's her, her whole job is to cover them. Um, you know, so we're not, yeah, Rolling Stone's got that history and we're not going to run away from it, but we're going to, we're going to call it when we see it, you know, that's gotta be, it has to, has to, has to be the mission and it has to be the execution. So look, you know, does anybody think like Biden and Harris are doing an awesome job? Like, does literally anybody think that? Like maybe there's five people in the White House who think there's that. a lot of people at MSNBC who think they're doing an awesome job. Yeah. <laughs> do they even think do they even think that? I mean, you and I know a lot of those same people. And I bet if you put a couple of beers in them, they may like feel like they gotta defend that side on TV. But I don't know that they think that like. Well, well that's all I, that's all I can hold them to. Right. Is like yeah. the conversations that you and I have with a beer don't count. Right. Like right. That, that's, that's off the playing field. Like, you know, when, when Lawrence O'Donnell's up there carrying water, you know, especially during times like the Afghanistan collapse, you know, I think it's it's it's, uh, you know, they're pulling punches and, and not all of them. There's a difference on every network. But I just use them as an example. There are a lot of folks, especially Democrats, who don't want any criticism of Biden because they're scared to death that it helps Trump. And, that, and that's this new dynamic where, you know, I, I think the left and right are, are almost, you know, self-fulfilling prophecies. And for those of us that are in the middle, that are independent, we're looking for, you know, the Rolling Stones of the world. We're looking for other people to hold that line somewhere in between because it seems like both sides are failing us and the country's burning to the ground. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy. So you brought up Afghanistan. I think a good example of the kind of reporting we're going to do is we've got we you know, after that disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, and if you call it anything other than disastrous, you're just fucking lying. Let's just be clear. Um, I mean, that was no way, shape or form the plan. They told us it was going to be all 
you know, all milk and honey. So, you know, we did a, a big photo essay and reported uh, reporting around it from Afghanistan about what the fuck was going on after U.S. forces left. And breaking news, it ain't good, you know? So I think we're going to be doing more accountability journalism like that. Uh, I think we've got some additional reporting coming out. This isn't about um, Biden per se, but about another Democrat. You know, we've got some additional reporting coming soon on Manchin and his ties to just how intertwined he is with the coal industry. It's fucking shocking, dude. Um, and yeah, you know, he's, shitty, he's shitty and he's also stupid. Somebody reminded me the other day that he was an opponent of, of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And that was under report. I remember those days. I mean, there's a lot of things that he's done below the radar, but I've, I've said this before. He's also the single stupidest senator I've ever met. And I've spent time with him. You know, he can be, he's the he's kid in the class that you can count on to raise his hand at the end of class and ask a stupid question that has nothing yeah. else to do with what the discussion is. He did that multiple times and around veterans issues in particular, because, you know, I think it was Rockefeller told me once, there's two things that oh, are I, important, important in West Virginia, minors and vets. Yeah. And, and he, he's managed to, in my view, fuck them both up uh, and everything else in between. But to, but to your point, so you're going to come after Manchin, you're going to come yeah. after Democrats. K- K- I had forgotten about how much Jay Rockefeller just fucking hated uh, Manchin's guts. That's funny. Um, I, look, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a contrast in terms of integrity. Let me just put yeah. it that way, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, the other guy like that that always struck me as the stupidest kid in the class was was uh, Mike Pence. Really could be counted on to be like just be a. Cookie. He makes Mike Pence look like a valedictorian, man. Like he, he's just <laughs> unbelievable. But so so to that point, you know, are you guys going to do? Uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Rolling Stone does endorsements. I remember, you know, you all were on the Obama train before you got there, but the magazine uh, was on the Obama train early. He was, I don't know how many times he was on the cover. It was, um, I, I got to say, like, so it, you'll come by the office, but you'll, yeah. in the office, there's like this digital rotating wall of every cover ever. Yeah. And like that period during the Obama years is honestly like a little fucking embarrassing because it's like Obama, 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 Obama. Um, I'm not, that ain't me. I'm just not like, is Rolling Stone going to do an endorsement? I don't know. I don't know. I got to think about that hard. But I mean, we've talked about putting, like, should we put Biden on the cover, you know, try to do a Biden cover story this year? And honestly, I don't know, man. I'm not sure I'm like ready because well, it's not, it's not representative of the youth culture. I mean, like, you, you know, if you're to, you know, I can see, I can see AOC being on the cover. Right. Or right. You know, and she, she, and she has been, she was, she was a part of a group cover, but like, look, it's more than just that about the youth versus not youth. I'm just not Rolling Stone covers are generally taken to be celebratory. It now right. I'm going to try to change that narrative, but I don't really want to be in a in a position of like celebrating any of these politicians. Like if there's someone we really want to celebrate, okay, then fine. Let's let's really celebrate them. But those people are pretty few and far between. And you know, I'd rather be taking shots at these fools rather than um than bigging them up. So I, I don't know, man. I, I don't I, I I once we when we get to 2024, maybe I'll, you know. Maybe you'll have me back on and, and call me out for changing my mind. But for right well, now, I don't know about it. I hope I, I can you can join me more often. I hope you can stick around after for a couple of quick fire fun questions for our Patreon members yeah. uh, exclusively for them sure. um, because we don't yet have Rolling Stone type money and we got to pay the bills. Yeah. And those folks help us do it. But let me let me um, ask you to touch on something that's dear near and dear to this show, independent politics. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like there is, if we're talking about youth culture, what I have seen and reported on is the rise in the number of young people who are choosing none of the above, who yeah. are unaffiliated, who are independent, uh, who are rejecting all parties and a lot of you know institutions in general. Um, you know, they can buy a hundred different you know, uh, microphones on, on Amazon, but they only get two candidates in a place like New York city, you get one. Um, so what, what's your analysis of that? You've been around a long time. How do you see that space and the intersection with this next generation that really says, you know, fuck you to both parties? Yeah. I mean, with good reason, right. Uh, you know, what are the alternatives right now? The alternatives are an increasingly authoritarian bending Republican party. That's like a non-starter. And then, or, you know, this very mealy, mushy uh, Democratic Party, which seems to, you know, just beg for a kick in the ass. Um, And neither one just, I mean, God, like who wants to be affiliated with either one of those things? Um, So, you know, it does feel like there's a lot of room for for different kinds of politics and different kinds of alignment. And... um, you know, it's just, it's not surprising. And I think it's why it's really important to kind of like, you know, call out everybody as they're, as they're not living up to their ideals. Um, I'm pitching on a story. I mean, cover more independence because I think that they need the, the shine. And I think that they're important. We've talked about a lot in the show and, and, and the absence of that, you know, you've got the, the Adam Kinzinger's of the world that are going to try to, you know, maybe fill some of that void. You got the, you yeah. know, the Andrew Yangs who want to rebrand themselves, who are just Democrats wearing, trying to change yeah, the jersey. I mean, but then you've also got, you know, the Joe Rogans of the world, right. That, that, that are filling a void for many people who are, you know, who, who maybe used to be Rolling Stone listeners or in, in another generation would have been the, the kind of people want to throw the fuck you to the man. They look around and maybe Joe Rogan is talking to them and connecting with them. So, yeah, um, I, look, I think that's a really good point, which is, I feel like there's a fuck you to the man that Democrats have become so kind of mealy and so kind of, you know, just lame that if you've got fuck you to the man energy, which I will speak on behalf of you and me, I know we do like it, it, there are actors that are able to appeal to that just purely to that energy that are going to find success. And, and it's not, and especially if they're gifted broadcasters like like a Rogan is, um, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what he's into, although I did love Fear Factor. I thought that show was great. Um, uh, you know, so I, like I, you're I one like, of the few that did. Man. I mean, that's what people are saying. I love I love Joe Rogan on Fear Factor. That's taking us in the way with that. Those are the same people who uh, who, who are loving Obama and, and Kamala Harris right now. That's yeah. a rare group. That's a rare group. <laughs> I don't but know, Ro- Rogan seems like a guy who, you know, that's he's an un, it feels like he's finally getting scrutiny. You know, he's he's become like a, like like a Howard Stern and a Rush Limbaugh. I mean, yeah. he is his power is undeniable. Maybe it's diminished now because he's behind the paywall at Spotify, but he's still very, very powerful in in a way that that is impacting our politics, our culture, our music, everything, right? Yeah, 100%. And I feel like there's a lot of actors, not just him, but there's a lot of actors out there that are really trying to appeal to that kind of don't, you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't fucking try to over-regulate my life uh, energy. Um, And I think that um, Democrats have to be really careful about losing a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks, um, just because uh, they seem to be surrendering, you know, they, they just because uh, other people are, are appealing to what is perceived as a kind of rebel heart. I know, like me, you have kids home from school right I now, do. which is which is fucking 
crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I just came from watching my two-year-old do preschool on Zoom, which yeah, it was music class, so it was kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give him that. But uh, let me let me ask you uh, as we close here, music. Give me like two or three bands or, or artists that you love that you want to you know spread the the, the vibes about and, and and let people know about because it'll improve their life. Oh, um, okay. Well, I'm a big evangelist for this uh, African guitar player named Ndu Mokhtar. Just trust me, N-D-O-U Mokhtar, M-O-C-T-A-R. He is like the Jimi Hendrix of the Sahara. This guy is a fucking banger. Trust me. I've heard um, about him. I now I know who you're talking about because I've heard yeah. him referred to as the Jimi Hendrix of the Sahara. Yeah, yeah. he's incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, on the the kind of like reggaeton and trap side, there's a guy named Jay Cortez. It's spelled J J H A Y Cortez. Uh, I think you will really. I mean, this guy's he's got it. He's got it. He and he's he's really hard. He's got great flow. I love him. Um, so those are two guys I'm 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 really really feeling uh, right now at very opposite uh, ends of the spectrum. Um, and then I would say if you're like more of a country type. Um, you know, this album came out last year and, and people, I, you know, a lot of people are really into it, but the Morgan Wade record is, is yeah. incredible yeah. and it just make you feel good to fucking, you know, be an American. It's great stuff. Is country the new pop rock? Well, I mean, to me, there's a lot, you know, uh, I lived out in the country for the last year and a half before moving back to New York. And, and yeah. so I listened to a shit ton of country radio and, and, you know, to me, it all sounded like nineties rock to me. It does. Um, it's so, pop rock. I mean, yeah. there's, there's obviously, you know, not all of it, but there's a huge core now, you know, what the fuck is Kane Brown? Kane right. Brown is not, you know, country music people be no. throwing him out, you know, but there's this new evolution, right. That, that right. is very what pop rock used to be. Yeah. I mean, Florida Georgia line is yeah. you know, 90s rock with a, with an accent. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and you look in the pop space right now, there's almost no rock and roll, right? I mean, there's sort of like pop artists that, that, that occasionally bust out a guitar. Like there's main, there's main skin from yeah. Italy. That's it right now. Right. Like that. And even that, I mean, and that's, I mean, for those of us that are uh, rock connoisseurs. I wouldn't say that Mainskin totally uh, scratches that itch. You know, I like Mainskin. I yeah. like Mainskin a lot. I don't like the the popular song, the uh, but but like all their shit in Italian, dude. It's got a little like Guns and Roses in it. It's there's something there, man. The, yeah. I, I'm not gonna hate on Mainskin. I've been telling people who don't know, I am I am a fan of Mainskin. Yeah, no, look, they've got, I mean, they got some tunes, but, and, you know, look. Like, you just got to listen to the shit that's not in English. If you're yeah. only listening to their English shit, it's like, eh, if you listen to their shit in Italian, it's really good. Nice. Um, yeah, and look, Olivia Rodrigo definitely has some rock tunes that are real rock tunes that are good. Uh, I'm, I'll probably get dunked on for saying this, but, you know, I think Machine Gun Kelly has some, like, actual pop punk tunes that are pretty good. Um, Willow, uh, who, uh, believe it or not, like Will Smith's daughter, yeah. Uh, and Jada Pinkett's uh, daughter has like one of my favorite songs of last year, which is like just a straight up pop punk tune. Um, so, you know, there's stuff, there's rock out there, um, but you're right that country is where that sort of like real kind of anthemic stadium rock, you know, kind of lives these days. It's weird, um, but that's, uh, we live in a weird world. 
Well, we are lucky to have you taking us through that real weird world. I'm also excited for you as as a friend and as a fan to see you in this role and as a fan of Rolling Stone. Like I grew up reading Rolling Stone. Uh, You know, it's for people who don't know. I mean, it's it was where Hunter Thompson was. I mean, like the, the legacy, the proud and important legacy of. Of, of Rolling Stone on the American landscape, the, the political landscape, the independent politics landscape, in my view, is, is really critical. And to have you at the helm is, uh, is exciting. And, I, and I'm excited for you to see a guy who appreciates it go from a, being a bass player in East Village to running Rolling Stone is, is kind of, a, you know, the dream fulfilled, man. So congratulations to Thanks, you. Man. And thank you for all the good work, man. I hope you'll come back and join us again. You got it anytime. Stay vigilant, my friend. So there it is. Now you know why you need to check out Rolling Stone, check out Noah's work. You should be able to read at least a few articles before you have to hit the paywall, which I don't like. You can make the decision for yourself, but the reporting they're doing is important. And that story he talked about should be up right now. You should also follow Noah Shackman on Twitter. He is informative and entertaining. And the dude in the Bad Brains t-shirt is not just giving the finger to the man. He's trying to hold him accountable. One year later, that's the kind of helper we all need right now. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. One year later, the helpers are out there. So check the hashtag on Twitter, look for the helpers, and share yours. They are out there. Look for the helpers. They're out there just like Lakewood Police Agent Ashley Ferris. She is recovering and remains in stable condition. If you want to be a helper, donations to support the victims, families, and survivors of that mass shooting in Lakewood and Denver can be made through the Colorado Healing Fund. That's coloradohealingfund.org. We'll also have a link to it on this show's website. You can also see video from my conversation with Noah Shackman. You can get independent Americans gear to kick off your new year. You can join our Patreon community and much more if you take it on over to independentamericans.us. And while you're there, please fill out our listener survey. Thanks to all of you that have done it. We're going to leave it open for one more month and we'll be giving out free t-shirts to a select number of people chosen at random. You can also find Independent Americans and Righteous Media on YouTube, and you can see videos from all our shows going back over the last few years. Please check us out on social media, where you can also guess the guest every Wednesday. Thanks to all of you who play every week. And a special shout out, of course, to our Patreon members, especially Kim Neuberg, who just joined us this week. If you're a member of our Patreon community, you found out who our guest was first. I gave you an advanced preview of this episode. I told you that Noah Shackman is coming and you will get exclusive content just for Patreon members. I kept Noah around for a little bit longer. I asked him about his first car. I asked him about music recommendations, which you definitely want to check out. And of course, I asked him to choose pancakes versus waffles that's all for our patreon members only you can find us on patreon or it's linked at independentamericans.us if you love this show you know the deal please support us and go to the apple podcast store specifically and give us five stars thanks to all of you who have done that and as we kick off 2022 if you haven't already please subscribe for free and share it's 100 free so subscribe check us out every thursday and please share it with a couple of friends it's a free gift you can give them going into a new year give the gift of vigilance 
And check out the other members of the Righteous Media family. Check out Rob Sarah's new podcast, The Firefighters. If you're a firefighter, first responder, family, friend, or you're just into firefighters and first responders, Rob's show is your new home. And it's sponsored by our friends at Rocky Boots. Big shout out to Rocky Boots. We're kicking off the year right with lots of new content. So check out Rob's new podcast, The Firefighters Podcast. I told you B-Dorm is coming soon. It's been delayed, but it is coming. And we've got a couple of more great shows that are almost ready for prime time. A big focus for 2022 is going to be new shows, so stay tuned for more. One year later, Righteous Media is continuing to bring you the five eyes. We're going to continue to bring it through 2022 and beyond. So big shout out to the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They are the crack crew that make this possible. And as we kick off 2022, of course, my deepest thanks and big shout out to my amazing wife and two boys. We had a great holiday break despite the COVID, despite the visit to the ER. And for one last curveball, the kids are home for school again. Yep, we are virtual yesterday and today and maybe tomorrow. And that is tricky, but we're making the most of it. And it's more time with our family, and I'm always going to be grateful for that. going to try to figure out how to improvise, adapt, and overcome, and, of course, make the most of it. Look, it's going to be a rough week, month, maybe longer for everyone. We're not done with the pandemic yet. If you haven't gotten the shot and you can get the shot, please do. And get the booster. My wife's symptoms were relatively mild. It's because she was vaccinated. It's because she's got the booster. And in addition, no matter what happens over these next couple of stressful weeks, let's all try to keep our cool and especially respect our teachers and the insanely tough jobs they have, our teachers, our coaches, our bus drivers. And most of all, let's try to keep our kids as safe and happy as we can. And we can do that by setting a good example. Even if you don't have kids, energy is contagious too. It's much more contagious than the virus. We are all stressed, but we can go above and beyond to respect others, be kind, and remember, maybe most of all, that our kids are watching. They'll learn more from watching us than they will from any classroom, virtual or not. So let's all try to be helpers. One year later, America is more divided than ever. But we at Independent Americans are trying to change that. We're adding light to contrast to heat. And every episode is going to bring you those righteous media five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. More and more Americans continue to choose none of the above. If you're among the 40% of Americans and growing who are independents, this is your show for 2022 and beyond. If you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard, This is your show for 2022 and beyond. If you're just a concerned American who cares about the future, this is your show. All are welcome here. And we invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. So please keep sharing the information. Please keep sharing the hope, too, because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And it's going to be essential in these next couple of hard weeks when Omicron throws us all kinds of curveballs. And probably get a snowstorm or two and a blizzard and a hurricane and a volcano eruption. Who knows what else? But... Keep sharing the hope. It's how we'll keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week and year by year and how we'll stay vigilant because vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone. We're all vigilant. We're all in this together. One year later, we are really 
in this together. From all you teachers and coaches out there, to Officer Ashley Ferris recovering in the hospital right now, to Noah Shackman, to all the Capitol Hill cops that are standing outside the Capitol in the cold right now, standing guard one year later. All across this country, as we kick off 2022, we are all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rakoff. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.